Congregation, we have our reading this morning from the Gospel according to St John, chapter 1. And we're reading from verse 1 down to verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So far the reading. Our text for this morning's message is uh, John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his Word as we consider it this morning. Our Heavenly Father, your design in giving us the Word is for us to know your Son, and this morning, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to listen to your Son, to believe in him, and to find life in him. We pray for the presence of your Spirit with the preaching of your word, so that your people may grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, so that those who are lost may find life, for those who are wandering may be brought back, and those who are weak may be strengthened. So, Lord, bless us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we do that in remembrance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's so important to remember with the birth of Jesus. You know what it's like with, with the birth of a child, 
There's expectation, there's anticipation, there's hopes and dreams. There's a desire to, to see again the future for this child. But we know that for Jesus, it was clearly revealed, though not everyone understood it. But even at his birth, it was revealed that he was born to die. Born to die with the purpose of death. And so in this sacrament this morning, we recognize and we celebrate, unusual, isn't it? We celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. What is there to celebrate in death? If it weren't for what God had designed in this death, there would be nothing to celebrate. And yet there is something significant that God wants us to remember and believe. That Jesus died in our place, that he was our substitute. And so our participation in the sacrament this morning is a spiritual participation. We're going to hear that with the form for the administration. It's what's called the, the sorsum corda, which simply means lift up your hearts. Corda is that word heart, and sorsum means lift it up. That's so important because, because what we're, we're focusing on is not just the physical elements. We need the physical elements, and they're there, designed by God, instituted by Jesus Christ. But our hearts are to ascend into heaven, to their commune with our Lord Jesus Christ, to lift up our hearts to him. And so with the mouth of faith, we eat and drink the body and blood of our Savior. It's a rather unusual statement, isn't it? With the mouth of faith, we eat and drink the body and blood of our Savior. It was this statement that caused in the early church at the time, just after the apostles, it caused the Roman government and those who were despising the work of Christ in the church to regard early Christians as cannibals and their worship service to be something unusual in which they're eating and drinking flesh and blood. And yet Jesus teaches us in John 6 that the only way to eternal life is for us by faith to eat his body and drink his blood. And yet, while we recognize that in the sacrament, and those may be familiar words to you and to me if we've grown up in the church, have you thought about their meaning? We need to feed our souls. It's very popular today with the, the development of New Age thinking to think that there's some way to, to feed our souls, that there's a, a spiritual deficiency that isn't touched by science and we have to commune with nature or we have to seek a higher power or we have to try and nurture our souls in an unusual way. It's recognized that there's something more than biology. And yet we also recognize today that there's a lot of science that goes into how we feed our bodies. There's degrees that are given in nutrition and food production to assure that, that what goes in to our body will be something health, healthy, helpful for strengthening our bodies and causing us to live healthy lives. And while feeding our bodies is about biology, feeding our souls, feeding our souls 
not about biology. It's about theology. It's about how Christ has instituted this supper, and it's not our mechanical participation. It's our reliance upon the work of the Holy Spirit, which is going to be and cause this food to be helpful for our faith, strengthening for our souls. That is what God's word reminds us of. It reminds us of the blessing of the incarnation, that Jesus did have a real body, real flesh and blood, and a reasonable soul, a soul like yours and mine. He was human just as much as we are, and yet he was without sin. And there is a tremendous amount of of revelation that is given to us in this particular text. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now be careful. Don't think about this scientifically. God's word isn't giving us the GPS coordinates to say, oh, I see. He, he lives at our address. No, no. He's showing us something profoundly true and profoundly theological. What does it mean that the word became flesh? As we unpack this statement and this teaching this morning, I'd like us to look at the mystery, first of all, and secondly, the majesty. The mystery and the majesty that God dwelt among us. Among us. When we talk about the mystery, when we talk about New Age ideas, there are spiritual ideas that are so profound that only a select few get us. That's the world's conception of mystery. It's unknowable. You can't fathom it. You just have to feel it. God's word isn't that way. When God's word speaks about mystery, it's talking about what he has revealed that, that we wouldn't understand, we wouldn't comprehend otherwise. We could search creation. We could exhaust our philosophy. We could exhaust our spirituality. And we wouldn't find these truths, but God has revealed them. They're mysteries not because they're unknowable. They're mysteries because they are knowable only through believing and listening to God's word. And when John uses these words, the word became flesh, he's using words that wouldn't have made sense in his day. These are loaded terms that he used. It's it's like we have loaded terms in our day, like isolation, while our minds after 2020 come up with something entirely different than we would have thought of before, or fake news, or lockdown, or quarantine. Those are loaded terms. And the terms that John uses is the logos became sarcos. Logos, the word. In his day, Plato had his influence and he suggested that the logos is the spiritual realm of the ideal. And it exists as the pattern by which everything moves and lives and survives and is. It was an idea, the Logos was a supreme idea that made sense of everything philosophically. But John says, the word became flesh. And flesh is another idea that was politically packed, philosophically packed, not politically, philosophically packed. Flesh was the physical realm. It was broken. It was a lower level. It was dirty. And we needed to escape it. That was 
Plato's ideal, to, to get away from the flesh, to escape the flesh, to avoid the flesh, and to elevate ourselves to that higher realm. And John says something profound. The Word, the Logos, became flesh. For us, too, something amazing is being revealed. And, and we need to, to capture the mystery of what God is teaching us here. The Creator. The Word is the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, verse 1. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. He was the one through whom everything was created. He was part of the Creator. The Word through whom all things were created became a creature. A creature. He humbled himself, took to himself a human nature, and became a creature. A creature. God's wonder that the Creator, who had designed everything, who had intricately planned everything, who continued to uphold everything, became a creature. We could think of it this way, that he who is eternal, boys and girls, eternal means he has no beginning, no end. He who is eternal has a birthday. That doesn't make sense. And yet this is the wonder, this is the mystery that God is revealing to us. He who is eternal has a birthday. God becomes man. He takes to himself a human nature. And, and not, oh, we would think if, if God was going to do that, surely it would be a, a, a spectacular human nature like a, a superhero, a superman. Oh, no, 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 no. Not the ideal human nature. Not the nature like Adam and Eve had in paradise that was untouched and untainted by sin that they had been created with. But he took a nature like Adam's. Though it was without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was still subject to all the distortion, all the brokenness, all the bankruptcy of the effects of sin. A body that could die. The Word became flesh. The Eternal had a birthday. The Creator became a creature. God became man. Second Corinthians 5, Paul says it this way, God made Him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Oh, the mystery, the wonder, the glory, the privilege of knowing this revelation. The Word became flesh. And the mystery continues. John says he, he dwelt among us. And the, the word that John uses for dwelling among us is, is a word that can be, be used for 
pitching a tent, a tabernacle. What was so significant in the life of Israel, of the place of the tabernacle, the place of the temple. God pitched his tent in our camp. He made his presence among us. God initiated the move to sinners. He organized this participation. It's not the other way around that. If, if we could clean ourselves up enough, if, if we could be holy enough, we can, we can work our way into God's camp. We can, we can get the right entry requirements because we could never accomplish that because sin keeps us from the presence of God. And God made this one who was perfect, the Word who became flesh, to dwell, to pitch His tent among us. He who is holy, pure, and undefiled came to live with the sinful, the stained, and the cursed humanity. He who is truth and always true made his presence made his place known amongst the lying and deceitful. He dwelt among us. Us. Where there's great darkness. Where there's disobedience. Where there's sin. Where there's guilt and shame. The darkness is precisely where the light came to shine. God didn't avoid us. He embraced us through the gift of His Son. The us. How horrible it is. He, he came to His own, to His own people, and they did not receive Him. He was the true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. And yet the world did not know Him. The us. Who would rather avoid Him. Whose sinful inclination is to deny him. He came to dwell among us. Those who couldn't receive him, unless by the power of God, they received him. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. The mystery of this meeting, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The mystery of this meeting, it's the same with the sacrament. We come, we participate, we celebrate because we know and believe and trust the glorious revelation of this Astounding mystery that our Savior has come for us in our place to be us, to undergo our condemnation, to undergo our punishment, to fulfill all of God's law for us. 
Not only is there mystery, there's also majesty. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. Think about that notion of glory. The glory of the Lord in his temple. The glory of the Lord in his tabernacle. The glory of the Lord in the place where he is to be worshipped. God's word speaks of the glory of the Lord that was at Mount Sinai. A majesty which is unapproachable. We're going to sing of that. In, that he was clothed in Mount Sinai in cloud and majesty and awe which is unapproachable by sinful man, and yet God was pleased amongst his people to reveal his glory at Mount Sinai. And at the dedication of Solomon's temple, after Solomon prays as he's been blessed by the Lord to build that temple, to make that house for the Lord. And the glory of the Lord so filled the temple that the priests couldn't go inside because the glory of God was powerful and it was majestic. And it was something to behold and something to cause God's people's heart to tremble had it not been for his redemption. Oh, the glory of the Lord in the tabernacle and in the temple that could be seen and visibly and tangibly recognized by God's people. And yet, that glory departed. It departed. Ezekiel 10, verse 18, when Israel was exiled to Babylon because of their life of disobedience and unbelief, the glory of the Lord left the temple with the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the Ark of the Covenant. And in the, the outworking of redemption, that glory would never again be found or seen in Israel. Yes, they would build the temple again. And yet that second temple, built in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the prophet Haggai, it didn't have the same glory. The glory of the Lord never invaded and inhabited that temple again. And yet Haggai prophesied that the glory of the second temple would surpass that of the first. And John picks up that theme here. People of God always wanting to see God's glory. Here's the glory. We have seen his glory. Jesus said this about himself, destroyed the temple, and in three days I will build it again. The glory of the Lord is coming in the presence of his Son. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son, the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's his Son. His only begotten Son, who's been with Him from all eternity, now coming to sinners in the flesh. No more temple. Now, through the blessing of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that He is here with us, among us. Though He's seated in heaven, He says, I haven't abandoned you as orphans. I've given you my Spirit as a down payment that you too shall one day be with me. And He is full, filled to the brim, overflowing with grace. And truth, 
Oh, the majesty of the glory that is revealed to us in the coming of Christ, in the incarnation, to celebrate at Christmas the grace of redemption, full of grace and truth, the fullness of everything God had promised. All the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ and filled with grace for sinners who are lost and corrupted by sin. Peter tells us this is something the angels longed to look into. Since the fall of man, they have been waiting and looking and longing for this revelation, and finally it has come. But even today, knowing the full glory that has come in Jesus Christ, we have another expectation and anticipation. And that too is reflected in the sacrament. So we partake of this sacrament until he comes again. And what's going to happen with his return then will be ushered into the full presence of his glory. And listen to the promise that is given to us, secured now through Jesus' death and resurrection and anticipated in his return. It comes from Revelation 21. With a new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven now from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's us. That's you and me, prepared for our husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. All that we can look for and long for and anticipate and is signed and sealed to us in this sacrament as Christ has instituted. And this is the hope and the comfort and the significance of what we celebrate. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Every time the sacrament is celebrated, it's a season to remember. And people of God, you have your family memories that you cherish. And Christmas is a time when families get together and reflect on those memories and some good, some bad. But they're your memories. But allow the Lord in His grace and in His truth to overwrite your memories. Not to remove them, but to show again. The flesh, this world, our humanity isn't something to be escaped. 
but the glory is the mystery and the majesty of God's gift of his Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember that glory. It's a glory that's perceived not by science, not by the eyes of the flesh, but with the eyes of faith, with the work of the Spirit, with the revelation of God, with the certainty of His promise. At this time, we'll be brief. But eternity awaits. And so while we await for that wedding day, the Lord has given us this sacrament. And Jesus tells us, remember and believe that I have come to save you from your sin and to reconcile you with my Father. Lift up your heart to heaven and feed your faith on him. Amen.